Hey guys, this is Vin Chari. I just had the honor and the privilege of being on the Purpose Through Pain podcast. And it really has been a game changer for me being able to share my story upcoming about 13 years of sobriety. And every time I get to share my story, it just gives me new hope and a passion for, for moving forward and progressing. So definitely give it a listen. And if you have a chance to be on this show, you should take it. You've survived the worst. Trauma, loss, rejection. The reality is your pain can be a crutch or it can be the thing that launches you. You're listening to the Purpose Through Pain podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you experience true freedom and breakthrough. Tune in each week as guests share their incredible life lessons from their personal stories and hear from experts who can give you the tools you need to stop surviving and start thriving. Here to help you find purpose through your pain is your host, Joseph James. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Purpose Through Pain. I have a great friend of mine, Vin Cherie, that's with us today. And this guy has just been an inspiration to me for the last 12 years of his life. He is dedicated to making people stronger, faster, harder to kill through fitness, nutrition, martial arts, and most of all, a powerful mindset. He has an extensive background in martial arts. He's a, a second degree black belt in Krav Maga, a brown belt instructor or brown belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. He is a Krav Maga worldwide advanced force training instructor and the list goes on. He's an amazing guy, but for him, this journey started over 12 years ago where he almost died of liver failure due to alcoholism. And he was just a classic waste of potential in his words. But I'm going to allow him to share today what destroyed or what path he was going on that, that was destroying him and then how he made his recovery. Vinny, thank you so much and welcome to the show. Thank you for, for having me, Joe. It's, a, it's an honor to be here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So we met a couple years ago, kind of online through the whole Krav Maga, and we eventually started doing some training together. And now you're, you're on the road full time, traveling, living life. And I'm just super excited and proud for you, brother. Uh, that means a lot, man. I know you've, uh, we've, been through a lot together and you've seen the ups and downs and you've always supported me and you know, the, the feeling is mutual. So, you know, it's a, like I said, it's an honor to be here. Oh, thanks brother. So I want to dive right into, you know, your accomplishments and things like that, but take us back to where your life was at, how you grew up to the point that you, it led you into alcoholism. So I was born and raised in Buffalo, New York, and both of my parents were from India. So I was first generation born here. And, you know, I had a great childhood. I mean, my, my parents were, you know, amazing parents and they took, you know, they took great care of us. And we, you know, we were, I had a, a you know, great upbringing in terms of schooling and, you know, I lived a normal childhood and, the, but on the, the, the other side of it, you know, my parents being from India, their rules and values were a lot different than what I was seeing around me. So you know, I, there was a, you know, my, my parents were pretty strict and naturally once I got to my teenage years, I started to rebel a little bit because I saw what other kids were doing. And I always struggled with my, my self-identity, you know, growing up and, you know, I was, I was overweight when I was younger and being Indian in a predominantly, you know, white area or, you know, it was very, you know, it was a very suburban area. And, you know, and I was, I was made fun of, I was bullied and not to like, you know, an, a massive extent, but enough that my self-esteem and confidence was just, was shot. And so, you know, when I was made it to high school, you know, my, my friends and I, we discovered alcohol and smoking weed and all that stuff. And 
it really just, it gave me this sense of confidence, you know, that I could, I could be this like gregarious person and the life of the party. And I just had this magical talent that, that I was able to drink more than other people. And so that was kind of my badge of honor. And I noticed just a steady decline in my relationship with my parents as, you know, that my problem got worse and worse. And the thing is, is I have a history of addiction in my family, you know, you know, uncles, my cousins, all kinds of uh, people throughout my family tree that have struggled with addiction. And so, you know, I'm genetically predispositioned in, in many ways for, for addiction. And I didn't realize that. And of course, when you're in the throes of that, you don't realize it because you're just in that vicious cycle. And even when you come up for air, you don't, you know, by the time you allow yourself to deal with that, you're already back in, in the cycle. So, you know, I went, went off to college and in college, the party just continued. And while I should have been studying and doing all, you know, all the stuff that I was supposed to be doing, of course, I was just messing around and graduated by the skin of my teeth. And after college, I moved to New York City thinking that, you know, okay, this is going to be my big move and I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to find my, my career path and I'm going to become a real adult, but it actually just got worse. So, you know, while all these people that I knew were starting their careers and becoming responsible, you know, adults contributing to society, I just kept going down this path and was just in complete denial about what was happening around me. And I was ruining relationships left and right and, you know, just not able to hold a regular steady job. And so I ended up leaving New York just because it, it was not sustainable to live there. But on top of it, I was just, you know, I'd burned so many bridges that it was time for me to leave. So I ended up going home to Buffalo, New York, and I went back to school. I got my, um, I got my MBA in uh, strategic management. And even that, you know, I was still, when I was in on my master's program, I was still just hanging on, flying by the seat of my pants because I, I was in this just the cycle. I was playing in a band and I was out all night or I was yeah, working at a bar and it was just nonstop. And I, again, just, I barely made it out graduating with that degree. And I ended up moving out to San Diego and that's where things really went off the rails. I ended up, you know, in a relationship where we both supported this behavior and it just kept going downhill. And I, I got to the point where that, that was, you know, that it, I, I was in such pain because when I would wake up, I would just regret everything that I had just done previously and kept telling myself that I was going to change. And then, as, you know, as I alluded to before, when you have that moment of clarity, you immediately dull that because you, you don't want to deal with it because it's too raw and it's too painful. And you know that it's going to take work and it's much easier just to settle and say, yeah, I'll, I'll get to it later or I'll do it later because the power of addiction is so much stronger than your, your want or your need to change. And really you're only going to make that change when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing. And the final straw that broke the camel's back was I ended up falling down a flight of stairs at my apartment complex in San Diego. It was like 20 concrete steps. And I ended up in the hospital. I didn't even realize, you know, I was completely unconscious. And uh, I woke up in the hospital and the doctors told me that, you know, you can't continue drinking. You are in liver failure. So, you know, they're like, if you keep drinking, you're going to drink yourself to death. So I had to evaluate and tell, you know, say that either I take a stand now or I just continue down the path I'm going and accept the fact that I'm going to die. I drew a line in the sand and said, I have to, I have to make this change. I have to do it now because you know, my, my family was pleading with me, my friends, all the people that cared about me. 
And I ended up, so I left San Diego. I went back to Buffalo, New York and checked into a 28 day rehab program. And, you know, the first couple of days, of course, I was resistant and not wanting to admit that I had this big of a problem as I did. But as I was in there and I was listening to other people's stories, it just, I had the, I had the epiphany. I had that awakening, that moment where I realized that I have a problem and I need help and I need to, uh, I need to attack this with everything that I have in me and put everything into this. There are, you know, no half measures. So, you know, while I was in rehab, I had always trained in, you know, I started training in martial arts in 97. I started boxing. So I always, you know, would, would train for a little bit. And then of course I would go off the rails with my partying. And so I was a jack of all trades, master of none. And, you know, I would get to certain levels in these different martial arts. And then I would just quit because I, you know, the party lifestyle was more important to me. And while I was in rehab, I was, you know, just, I was working out every morning and in the evening, like it just, just something snapped, something clicked. And you now maybe it's my addictive personality and I just go, you know, one extreme to the other, that could be part of it. But I launched all of my energy and, and passion into, you know, just getting my mind right, getting my body right. And really just, you know, getting my spirit right. Yeah. So when I got out of the, uh, when I got out of rehab, I got back into finance for a little bit, but it just, you know, it, it I wasn't passionate about it. And it, it, you know, when you're not passionate about something, it's, it, you're, you're never going to be successful at it. Yeah. I mean, you have, you may, you may, may have moderate success with it, but not the success that you could have with something that you're, you, you truly love and care about. And you feel like you're, you're making a positive change in this world. So when I got out of rehab, I actually started training in Krav Maga. So how old are you at this time? I was 29. So this was just so, before my 30th birthday. So about what time in your life would that you got introduced to alcohol with your friends? I, I was 14. 14. So that addiction lasted almost 15 years? Yeah. So at that point, it was over half of my life. Wow. And so what yeah. was going on? How was your, your parents' response? Were, were they, you know, were they denouncing you then? I mean, because the Indian culture is very, you're very family oriented, are you not? Yes. No, you're correct. So, you know, I, I am here today because of my parents and because they never gave up on me and my, and my brothers. I have two younger brothers and they always supported me and against probably, you know, if I was in their position, I, you know, I don't know if I would have held on as long as they did because I put them through, through such hell. And it's still, you know, I, it still bothers me to this day, but I've, I've made my amends and we move forward. Yeah. At any time during that, were you suicidal? Were you depressive, you know, going through depression? I mean, what was going on during that 15 years of your life that you just continue to spiral downhill? Yeah. But I mean, my mind was so clouded and there were, I mean, there were multiple times that I contemplated suicide and ending it all because that would have been the easy way for me to get out of the situation. I couldn't fathom not being that person, that the life of the party. And, and, and then also, you know, my mind was just so addled with, you know, the addiction of alcohol. And obviously there were, were recreational drugs along with it too. And all that just went hand in hand. And at, at any time that I would be, you know, have that moment where I was in between binges that's when I would be at my, my low. And I was always like, I, I was, I always had that, that little lingering thought in my mind that I had to push out of, you know, you could just end it all right now. Yeah. Go back to rehab. What was going on in rehab that really just, I mean, I know they have a process and things like that, but what was, what was it about rehab that really started making you change your mindset about things? It was hearing from other people and their stories and they're very similar to mine. And just a lot of the 
the, the ability of, for me to share and for me to just get it out there because I was holding it in for so long. It was just a huge weight off my chest. And I just felt this overwhelming sense of calm and purpose that came about at, you know, from me, you know, gathering all of this, these, these like shared experiences with people. And then also being able to unload this, you know, it was just, it was pent up and held in for so long. I didn't talk to anybody about it. It was just something that I was dealing with on my own in my, just in, in this perpetual hell. Did you feel like during your, your stint, that 15 years of being an alcoholic and really going downwards, did you feel like you were alone the whole entire time? Like you were the only one in the world going through this? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it is, it, you are so isolated and everything, it just becomes this gauntlet or this tunnel that you're stuck in and you, you know, you have, you have tunnel vision. You can't see anything that's going on outside of, you know, how are you going to get from where you are right now to feeling better? Yeah. And, and the only way I knew how to feel better was to just to drink or do drugs or, or both. Right. So you get through rehab, you started to try to go back to college and you're like, yeah, that's not it. You had already been doing some boxing. What started, what started taking place in your life then? Uh, so I started training in, in Krav Maga. It was, uh, it was a martial art that I was always interested in. And um, one of my friends was training at the Krav Maga school in, in Buffalo. So I went to a class and the first class, I was just blown away by the demo that the instructor did. And so I started training and I was there, like I was going in during the day or in the mornings and doing my own workout and coming back at night and taking like three, three hour classes or three one hour classes in a row. And just there every day. I mean, if they weren't closed on Sundays, I would have been there. It just, uh, it, it felt so good. And when I, so from when I, before I checked into rehab and then when I got out, started training at Krav Maga over about a four month span, I lost 70 pounds. Seven so pounds. Yeah. Seven zero. Yeah. So what weight were you when you checked into rehab? I was about 240. 240. Out of shape. Yeah. Just sloppy, yeah. couldn't beat your way out of a wet paper bag, probably. Exactly. I was, just, I was just a mess. I know that you've seen some of the pictures. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was just, and I'm not going to lie. Of course, I cared about how I looked, but it was more important to me to maintain this identity of the, the party guy and, and, and to be able to, to feed, my, feed my cravings for, the, for all of these things that, I was, that, that my body was addicted to. Yeah. You said a minute ago, you said a comment about the pain has to be greater. Say that again. When the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change, that's when you'll change. Wow. The pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. But to begin mm -hmm. with, you thought the pain of change was greater than the pain of staying the same. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. did that really register in you to go to rehab? Is that, is that when, or did it really start to resonate with you after rehab and when you really started to make the change itself? It didn't make sense to me until I went to rehab. Like I was still, I, I went to rehab kicking and screaming. So when I flew home from San Diego to Buffalo, you know, I had missed, I missed a couple of flights because I was drinking in hotel bars. I was too drunk. They wouldn't let me on the plane. And then when I got home the night before I was supposed to check into rehab, I, you know, broke into my father's liquor cabinet and drank like a whole bottle of scotch. And so they wouldn't even let me into rehab because I was still drunk. So I had to go to detox for a few days. So I still wasn't ready. I went kicking and screaming and you know, I was super, you know, resistant when I, when I went in there and it really took me, I, I was the guy who was in there thinking I, I didn't need to be there. Like I could do this on my own, even though I, I knew like clearly that I couldn't do it on my own, but that's the addict telling me that, you know, you got this, you can do this. So it didn't hit me until I was in there. 
Now, was it you that voluntarily went or was it like family forcing you, persuading you, begging you? What made you it, get to that? It was family. It was my family, you know, begging me to go. And that's why I did it. And in my mind, even when I was in there, I was, I kept thinking like, yeah, I'll just, I'll, I'll leave here. And then I can always, I can, I'll go back to California and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just, I can, you know, just be drink in moderation. And I was, I was still thinking this even when I was in rehab. And it didn't click until you know, maybe, you know, like a, a week or two in. Wow. Wow. So you lost 70 pounds before you started Krav. So now you're, you said you were at 230. Is that right? I was at 240. No, I, I lost it actually through Krav, through training okay. Krav. Yeah. So were you training Krav while also in rehab? No, I was just, I was just doing push-ups and sit-ups and pull-ups, the Herschel Walker workout. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've all tried that as, as a kid yeah. or even as an yeah. adult. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's um, insane. <laughs> so now you're, you're out of rehab, you're into Krav. Take me from there. Take me where it got to the point of, I want to do this for the rest of my life. So I, so I was, you know, I was working in finance and I ended up, this was in the fall of 2008 when the, the market crashed. And so I was working for a firm and, you know, things were going really well. And then, of course, the market crashed and I got let go. And I was like, man, you know, I'm just starting to, to build myself up again and just get, you know, knocked down again just a couple months into it. And, you know, I, but I was, I was surprised at my lack of desire to use that as an excuse to fall back into my addictions because I had found Krav Maga. So I just, you know, I had launched all my energy into that. And so I just kept training and um, I ended up visiting my, my best friend from college. He was living in New Orleans and I went to go visit him for uh, Halloween that year. And I had been to New Orleans seven or eight times before that for Jazz Fest. It was just, I just loved it. It was my favorite city. And I went to go visit my buddy and he's like, you should just move down here. I was like, yeah, I'd love to. But, you know, I had this job and so I went back and I was working and, you know, every, every once in a while, he would just send me this random text like, hey, when are you moving down here? And we were, and so when I finally, when I ended up getting laid off, I think it was in January, after I got laid off, my, my buddy like just randomly texted me again. He's like, when are you going to move down here? Like, I'll be there in two weeks. So I just threw a bunch of stuff in a suitcase, flew down to New Orleans and uh, it was everybody that I knew thought I was crazy for just being recently sober and moving to New Orleans. But that's the way I'm wired. I wanted to be in the belly of the beast if I was going to do it. And so I moved down there. And as I got out of the cab coming from the airport, it was dirt. It was in the middle of Mardi Gras. My buddy was living on St. Louis right off of Bourbon. And I get out of the cab and this girl just comes hurtling towards me and starts vomiting. And I like matrix my way out of the way of this, this vomit. And I just thought, had this moment. I just looked around like, did I just do this? What, <laughs> what did I just do? I moved to New Orleans and I'm going to try to be sober here. And honestly, it was, it was one of the, really was some of the best years of my life. I was there for 12 years, a little over 12 years. And, um, you know, it, uh, New Orleans has a special place in my heart. We're not there anymore, but you know, I, I love that place. Yeah. So at what point did you, you you've transitioned down to New Orleans now, where did things where making the mindset change of, I want to help other people, where does that come into play in your life? So I, when I moved to new Orleans, there was a Krav Maga school already open by my, by my former business partner. And so I started training there and I was also working at a uh, financial services firm um, in new Orleans. And I was, you know, I started training. And then after a couple months of training, the owner asked me if I wanted to become an instructor. And so I started instructor training and I went through my first instructor course and 
it was just such a life-changing experience. The way that the the model was taught and how, you know, and I had seen from all my training how it just, you know, training in martial arts just transforms people's lives. You know, learning how to defend yourself is secondary to the confidence that it builds. And so, and, you know, as a benefit of all of that, you lose weight or you get in, you know, you get in great, great shape. Um, Cause if you, you know, if you're, if you're not in shape, you can't fight. So that, you know, just, just seeing that happen on a daily basis, just people come into the gym, like with, you know, but their, their body language just says that they're just beaten down in life. And then you see them a few weeks later and they're just walking around, their chest is out, their shoulders are back, they're smiling, you know, saying hi to everybody. It just, it was just amazing for me to see. And so when I became an instructor, I just realized that this was what I was destined to do. You know, we all had that, you know, a real search for that moment where it's revealed to us what, what our purpose is. And that was, that was it for me. So I asked my former business partner if, he, if I could buy into the business. And so I ended up buying into the business and it was just a labor of love. I mean, the, the, gym, in, the gym business is really tough and I came at it with, with, you know, why I did it was to help as many people as possible, yeah. not necessarily to run a business. And, you know, that, uh, that's what I did for, for 12 years. At this point, became an instructor. How long have you been sober at this point? So in May, actually next month, I'm going to, it's coming up on 13 years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. When you moved down to New Orleans and then you started to become an instructor and getting into the business side of things, how long had that been? What was the time span of that, of your, of being sober from the time you left New York or went through rehab? Uh, yeah. So by the time that was about a, a year and a half span, a year and a half. And I take it just like anybody else, were you still struggling or were your mindset so driven on change that you're like, I don't have the issues. Yeah, I was, I was so driven by, you know, my own personal progression in Krav Maga and also the, the progression of my students and just trying to, you know, really, you know, New Orleans is such a dangerous city. I really wanted to make a difference, just make it safer. You know, I was teaching, you know, working with all the local police departments, volunteering my time, you know, training our police, you know, our peace officers to, to have better use of force. And, you know, that's, I, I'd never, during that time, I, like, especially in the beginning, I never thought about going back to the bottle or going back to, you know, the, the substances because I was so engrossed in what I was doing and so passionate about it. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's awesome. So you buy into the business and then eventually you opened up your own facility, your own training facility. Talk me through that. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, my, my former business partner ended up getting into a bunch of legal troubles and I ended up buying him out in August of 2014. And so it used to be Street Smarts Krav Maga, and then I renamed it Triumph Krav Maga. And then it was, it was all mine. And, um, you know, that, that was a really tough time in my life. During that, we went through, you know, a year-long legal battle. Things got pretty nasty. And during that time, I had, I had some thoughts where, you know, I was driving home and, hey, I could just pull over at that bar. And just these little fleeting thoughts, like they're just, you, you can't even stop them. I've never tried to stop them just because I want to know what triggered that. You know, I, I always will search for the, the psychological root of what brought that on or what led to that. That's key. You know, when we go through, I like to call it hell in the hallway, you know, and nobody ever wants to talk about their experience in life. We talk about where we, how we end up on the podium, how we end up on the stage, how we end up with, you know, the success, so to say, but nobody ever wants to talk about those little small things. You know, when you... And I think it's, it's a very important 
to understand those triggers. You know, as for me, and you know my story about my wife passing, as I put myself out there to start finding love again, I realized there was things in me that I didn't know I still had. Rejection issues stemming all the way back to my childhood from my dad, you know, abandonment issues, you know, always needing the approval of other people, you know, and, but I never knew and understood what was the cause and what was the root issue. You know, how important was that for you to understand where those root issues were coming from and then how to deal with it? Yeah. You know, that's, it's amazing what, you know, what doors of self-discovery open up when you train martial arts. Like I, I really, I mean, being on the mats is a microcosm of life. I mean, getting, you know, pushing yourself to, to, to limits and, and breaking through walls that you didn't think you could, you could get through, you know, realizing how much you're capable of, you know, fighting other people, you know, getting punched in the face is a great way to, <laughs> to keep your, keep your head on straight and make you realize that, you know, where your, your where your weaknesses are, where the, where your strengths are and how just to, to shore up all, all, you know, everything around you, just fortify yourself. Yeah. How has, and you just kind of hit on it, but how has mindset played a part in away from your martial arts? How has that gotten you through the development of your mindset? Because if you didn't have the mindset, if you didn't start developing that mindset, you'd never be a good martial artist or a good fighter, period. It doesn't matter how much you train, you know? And then the same thing in the same aspect of life. How has mindset been for you? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So, you know, I always, growing up, I, I always, whenever I would set my mind to something, I would accomplish it. Whether it was an, an athletic goal, you know, in baseball, basketball, you know, tennis, you know, I was, I was, I was a good athlete growing up and I would set these goals for myself. And I would, if, if I set that goal, there was no way I was going to, going to fail. And, you know, I learned, I learned how to play guitar when everybody else was playing video games. I picked up the guitar so I could, you know, pick up girls. <laughs> why, why does anybody start playing guitar? Right. And so I taught myself how to play guitar when I was in middle school and high school and, you know, sit in my room for hours, listening to the Allman brothers and Led Zeppelin. And that was, uh, you know, so it was, you know, I, I think that I was, I, and I think I, that comes from my father. I mean, my father is the smartest, strongest person I know, and he's the most determined. And so, and, and stubborn as well, which I, I know is, uh, is part of it too. Like that's, that's part of my, what drives me. Cause I, I just refuse to give up or, or to not accomplish something that I set my mind to. But I think that coupled with what martial arts teaches you, I mean, you know, being on those mats and, just going to the point of physical mental exhaustion, like when you're stressed beyond belief and then you, you have to perform certain techniques or when you're actually like live sparring people. I mean, that's, it gives you just a sharpness and an awareness that, you know, coupled with keeping a strong mindset, I think it just, it, it just, fort, you know, fortifies it and, and amplifies it. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. So at this point, are you already, you fight the lethal battle, you open up triumph. At what point did you get married? What point did you meet Jenny? So I met Jenny in 2009. And so that's a great story. I, I was getting my hair cut at this salon in the French Quarter. And every time I would go in, I would notice her. And the, the girl who was cutting my hair used to, you know, was trying to set me up with her cousin or something and it never worked out. And so the one day I came in there and she's like, yeah, sorry, it didn't work out with my cousin, but that one thinks you're cute. She pointed to Jenny. And I was like, oh, really? Okay. She's like, yeah, you should just ask her out. I'm like, okay, when? when? She's like, right now. And so she called her over and she sat down in her, Jenny's station was next to, next to me. And I just introduced myself and I said, Hey, my name's Vin. Uh, do you want to have dinner sometime? And you could have heard a pin drop. It was all, I was the only guy in there with all these <laughs> ladies getting their hair done. And, the, and 
they all peer around the corner, like looking, waiting for her response. And she was like, uh, sure, I guess. And I totally put her on the spot. And so I ended up going back down there to hang out with her a week later. And we just sat outside the salon and talked for hours and we've been inseparable ever since. So that was in 2009. And then we got married in 2011. Nice. And then you have a son. Yeah. So we have our son, Bowden. He just turned eight. He is the most amazing human little, like little human being. And he, that's why we do everything that we do. But I'm going to brag on you for a little bit because I pay attention to your social media, you know, and for all the viewers that, and listeners out there that don't know, you know, you post a lot of your journey of your fitness, you know, and no matter where you're at, you're, you're always doing something. But as a father and coming from a father, there is nothing like having your children emulate what you're doing, you know, even then we don't, you know, at a young age, we don't necessarily teach them to do certain things, but yet they see us doing it and they want to emulate those things. And I see those pictures that you're taking of Bowden and him swinging the kettlebells or when y'all are going through the parks and him doing the exercises on the trails and things like that. Not just how does that mean to you, but knowing where you came from, knowing the addictions, knowing you know, losing different things, even having the family support you, almost dying, the thoughts of depression or, uh, you know, the thoughts of suicide, going through depression, things like that. What, how does that speak to your heart as a dad? Oh man, it, it, it's, it is everything to me. I mean, I just, I, I can't stop smiling when I, when I see him doing that stuff. It, it's been really cool, you know, and uh, we can get into our journey and what we've been doing in a little bit, but he's, it's, it's everywhere we go. He's just like, he just lights up everybody's day around him and he's constantly trying, like he's constantly trying to help other people. He's a compassionate little guy, but you know, just a, a little story. We, uh, we were in, we were somewhere right around Christmas time and we met this other family and they had these little kids and the little kids were like, yeah, come over. We want to show you what we got for Christmas. So he goes over and sees, and then he brings them back to RVs. Like, Hey, I want to show you my kettlebells. <laughs> and he, he made them do a workout with us. Oh, like, that's so awesome. Man. Of, of all the things that he wanted to show them. It was hilarious. Uh, yeah. So we're going to get onto your, your journey that you're doing now, but there's some things that happened over the last year that affected everybody in the nation you know, and you're striving in business. You've got two Krav Maga locations and all of a sudden COVID hits. Take me through that for your guys' experience and what led you to where you're at now. Yeah. So, you know, that business, having it, being a part of it for 12 years and owning it for, for 11, it so many ups and downs, as you know, being a small business owner, I mean, it just never stops. You can never turn it off. And from the legal battles and going through all that and just exhausting me, financially, emotionally, to building it back up. And then we opened up our second location in 2017, right next to Trader Joe's, if you know, for anybody who's in New Orleans, but it's, you know, the biggest intersection in in town and prime real estate. So, you know, we had the opportunity to be there front and center. And of course I took it and I made it work, but it was, you know, way too, way too expensive for it to be sustainable. And so I was just working my butt off at both locations, going back and forth, doing sales. And, you know, it, they, they were both thriving at, at one point. And after a while, the, the battery location just became unsustainable. It was just way too, the overhead was too much for what we were doing as a gym. Yeah. So eventually in, you know, by July of 2019, we had to close that location. And that was so difficult. A lot of me, you know, I, I fought it to the nail because it was, it was a pride thing, right? I wasn't looking at it from a rational perspective. It was, I built this, you know, I'm going to be a failure. Everybody's going to think I'm a failure. 
And that was my mindset at the time, even though I know in my mind that it doesn't really matter what people think of me. You know, we still all, you know, anybody who says that they don't care what people think about them, it's not telling the truth, you know? So, I mean, we do to a certain extent. It's yeah. how you channel that and what you do with that information. That right. is the difference. Yeah. So we had to close in July of 2019. And at that point, we almost didn't make it back. You know, we almost had to fold and close the other location, but we kept fighting and we started to build it back up and build it back up. And then that was, you know, and then seven months later, COVID hit just when we were like starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel. And then, you know, being shut down for those months, it was just, it was too much for us to overcome, right? You know, back to back having that happen. So it was like getting kicked in the face when we were already down. Yeah. Yeah. So you made the decision to go ahead and close it down. How was that, how was it at that point affecting your mindset to the point of, did you find yourself wanting to go back, having those thoughts of, I can just stop at the bar? Yeah. So that actually, that happened when, when we were, when we had to close the battery location, like those last few months of that, I was there all night, you know, all day, all night trying to, you know, just keep selling and, and getting more people in the door. And it was just this constant cycle. And every night I was driving home, I was just like, yeah, I could just, it was, it got to the point where it was like almost every night that I was having this thought on the way home, just stop in a bar, have a couple of drinks and you'll be fine. And, you know, tomorrow we'll be back to normal. And when we, we closed the, the battery location, like I, that, that subsided and I just launched myself back into work again and really focused on rebuilding the, the other, the first location. And then when COVID hit, it was, it just blew my mind. I, I couldn't believe that this was happening, especially right now. And so as like, as I was getting ready to make the, when, when we finally, we kept trying to figure out a way that we could make it work. And when I finally came to the realization after much pleading from my family that, you know, I have to do what's right for my family. Otherwise, we're not going to ever recover from this. And so I, I struggled a lot with making that decision. That was, that was my baby. That was my pride and joy, my passion. And having to let that go, I, I definitely was having, having thoughts of, of what would happen. Like, oh, maybe I can control it this time. Just these little, like, fleeting thoughts. They come in, they go. They come, they go. And it just, I'm always aware of not letting any of those catch like never let it get stuck in there right let, let it come in let it come out it's just it's always going to say stuff to me i have control of this yeah for people that are out there that may be struggling with addictions with hurt pain you know whatever it may be in life because we all every human on the face of this earth goes through pain at some point in time in their life you know with some with addictions when you found yourself with those thoughts popping in how would you encourage our listeners to fight through those things did you just shift your focus? Did you tackle the thoughts? What did you do specifically that allowed you to continue to go, even though the thoughts kept popping in? So for me, I would, you know, I would go train. I would train jujitsu or I would train Krav Maga or I would lift weights. That has always been my therapy because when you're in that moment, especially when you're like, honestly, I think martial arts is one of the best things that you can do for addiction because when you are engaged in combat, you know, in, in controlled combat, right? It's not, you know, let me, let me preface that, you know, for anybody who's thinking about getting into martial arts, it's not like you're just going to, they're going to throw you in the ring with, uh, with gloves and beat the crap out of each other. It's, you know, especially with, with Krav Maga and Jiu Jitsu, it's a very systematic approach to build up your confidence and build your comfort with it before things start escalating. But, you know, being in that, you know, when you're grappling with somebody or when you're sparring with somebody, you don't have time to think about these things that are bothering you. You're just completely in the moment because, you know, somebody could choke you or armbar you or, you know, knock you out. 
you know, all that. And so that's what I would channel myself into. And then what else kept, you know, the other thing that kept going was my family. Seeing how, how much they, they loved me and supported me or loved me and support me. And especially my wife and son, you know, just believing in me so much, like I, there's no way I could let them down. So that's, that's what really, I think, besides the training, kept me going. Did you use them as your accountability partner? Like when you were driving home and you would have these thoughts, would you get on the phone with your wife and be like, hey, look, I'm struggling? Were, were y'all open about those things? Because I mean, men, we're, we're, we're open about a lot of things until we start to struggle, you know, and then we start, yeah. off. We start to shut back or move back and shut off from people. I held it back sometimes, but then after a while, I was like, I, I have to be honest. I would, I would tell her about it. And I would even in the moment, sometimes I would tell her like, Hey, look, I, I would love to have a drink right now. And so just the, and just the act of saying it, it's gone. You it know, that's power. It, yeah. It loses its power. Cause it's like, as I say it, I'm like, that's just ridiculous. Why would I do that? Why would I throw away all the good things that I have in my life? Because I know that I will just destroy everything. If I go back to that life, yeah. like I, I've already done, I've already done that. I know, but that's the, the vicious power of addiction. It's, yeah. it's always trying to convince you otherwise. Yeah. Wow. So COVID hits, you guys are struggling financially. Now the Metairie location is already closed. Now you decide to close your next one. You swallow that pride, you face that. And then you guys, is this where the new journey started for you guys? It really killed me to close the gym. And, you know, with all of the people that, that trained with us, all of the employees, all of the, that, you know, just everybody that depended on that business one way or another, that broke my heart. I didn't know what we were going to do. I just you know, I, like I said, I knew we had to, to figure out something else to do with our life to, to rebuild. And we, we had always talked about, you know, getting, uh, you know, getting an RV and, and traveling the country. And we, you know, I, I talked to my wife about it. I said, why don't we just, why don't we sell everything we own, move into an RV? I had already been doing my remote fitness and nutrition coaching for about two years before that. And so it started off as just me coaching some, some of my staff. And then it turned into some of the clients from the gym. And then it turned into now, you know, I have clients all over the world. And so I already had that infrastructure built in. So I was like, well, I can do this remotely anywhere. Why don't we go travel the country and, you know, give our son an experience that he will never forget. And so we ended up, uh, you know, getting, getting rid of everything we own for minus the few essentials that we need. And we now live in an RV, a fifth wheel. And we've been traveling. We started in Louisiana. We are now in the Animas River Valley, sitting in, in between these uh, mountains over here in, uh, in Colorado. And we've been traveling for nine months since, uh, since we left New Orleans. And, you know, for me, I've just, I've been doing my remote coaching and it's been great. And we've been spending all day, every day together. What has this done for your mindset? I mean, you're getting to see things that You've never seen before in your life. And, and a lot of other people that, you know, some people in the United States or even, you know, never been out of the United States, never been out of their state, much, much less, you know, but what is this doing in terms of your mindset of, you know, what you're seeing? It's only gotten stronger. I mean, a big, a big part of what we were doing is I'm spending so much time with my family, but I'm also getting some, some great quality time with myself, time that I never had where I could just like walk around and, and, and be outside in nature and be alone with my thoughts. I didn't have that for a very long time, you know, cause I, I went, when, when I, I built that business so big, I had all these people depending on me, I had a family. It's just, you never give yourself those moments. And those only moments that I had were those little fleeting moments when I was leaving the gym or co coming home in the car. And that's what I was thinking about going off the rails. So 
Yeah, it's, I mean, I feel like my mindset is strong as it's ever been. I'm in better shape than I've ever been. You know, any situation we find ourselves in, I'm like, I know that we can handle this. We are, you know, we're, we're resilient, like nothing, nothing can stop us. So it's just that, like that, that sense of adventure of every single day, seeing something new and doing something different. And it's, you know, we've been in bear country, like close to bear encounters and moose and all this stuff. And I'm like, I just, I love it. I love just having to be mentally sharp all the time. Yeah. Where's your relationship at with your parents right now? It's awesome. You know, we, they could not be happier, you know, about who, about who I turned out to be compared to what I was before. So they're just, yeah, they're, they're just so grateful and so gracious. And I, I I couldn't have done any of this without them. So they're actually going to come out and visit us in a a couple weeks. I haven't seen them in a year and a half due to COVID, which has been the longest I've ever gone in my entire life. So I'm really looking forward to that. But yeah, with, with them and then also I, my, my two younger brothers, I mean, they completely supported me and helped me, you know, when I got sober, dealing with all my legal issues with my former business partner, closing the Metairie location, like after we had to close our our original location uh, due to COVID, my, my family was always there to help us and, and get us through that. Yeah. What has been the biggest game changer for you throughout this journey, not over the last 12 years, but over the last 30 years of your life? When you started the addiction, what has been the biggest game changer? I think the biggest game changer for me is allowing yourself to be vulnerable, allowing yourself to realize that you're not infallible and to realize that it's okay. It's okay to, to not be in, in control because you, you have the opportunity to fix it. You are the cause and the solution to all of your problems. So when you maintain that approach, like, look, yeah, things are, gonna, things are horrible right now, but I can change this. I can do this. Like, it's just... And if you just keep it that black and white, like it's you choose A or B, A, you can change it, B, you just settle. You know, you, if you just leave it like that and just launch yourself into getting rid of whatever's holding you back, I think that that's, that's a powerful way to wire your mind to deal with these issues. Yeah. Is that what you would encourage if you ran across an addict right now, or even those that are listening are struggling with addictions? Would that be your word of advice to them? Oh yeah. I, I, well, I think my first word of advice would be to seek professional help. You know, I, I, I can't understate that or overstate that enough. You, you need to get professional help. You can't do this on your own. And that, but, you know, going to rehab and being isolated for 28 days, that really changed my life because I emerged from there with, you know, greater self-awareness and it, it just lit a fire under me to go out and, and make all these, make all these changes in my life and just attack life. The other thing that I would encourage addicts to do is to get into some sort of training, whether it's martial arts, fitness, you know, group classes, uh, whatever it is, do something that's going to make your body feel, feel better. Because when you start getting and getting those endorphins going, that natural high that comes from those endorphins can be the counterbalance to when you have to cut those substances out of your life. And you can, you know, I find that some of the greatest athletes and some of the greatest martial artists are, you know, recovering addicts in some, some shape or another, because they have that they're hardwired to just go all in. And so any person that I met over all my years of training, you know, teaching at the gym, any, any clients that came in that were, that were in recovery, I just noticed how this complemented their life so well, you know, this, and, and, and how they were able to just gain even more strength and clarity from it, from training. Yeah, that's good. If listeners wanted to get in contact with you, cause you're still doing online training, you're still doing your coaching, even though you're traveling, what is the best way for them to be able to reach out to you or get in contact with you or even see what you're doing if, you know, because 
online training seems to be a really big thing right now, especially with COVID hitting, even though gyms are opening back up and stuff like that. But in the convenience of things, there's a huge benefit to finding an online coach. How can they get connected with you? So you can follow me at my uh, Facebook page. It's Vinay Chari. It's just my name, V-I-N-A-Y-C-H-A-R-Y. And my Instagram is brownmagic23. (laughs) (laughs) College nickname. And then you can also email me at uh, vinchari at gmail.com. Awesome. Tell everybody real quick what all you offer for your business. Yeah. So I, I do, it's, it's a remote coaching program. Essentially it focuses on nutrition, fitness, mindset, and accountability. It's really a program that's designed. So I work with, you know, elite level athletes. I work with people who've never worked out a day in their life. You know, I train people for fights or different, different events. And really the, the program is about helping you achieve a lifestyle change by creating behavior change and learning how to eat the foods that you like while still getting results and enjoying the way that you train and doing this all from the comfort of your home or the gym or wherever you want to go. But, um, you know, I'm with you every step of the way. Yeah. And guys, I'll to all my listeners. I actually started this with, with Ben, um, a little over two years ago, I think it was. And yeah. that's what got me changing my lifestyle in terms of, cause I was overweight. I was at that point. I'm like, I'm feeling sluggish. I had been a, a martial arts instructor in the Marine Corps, a hand to hand combative instructor in the Marine Corps. And I just got to the point, I'm like, I've got to do something different. Of course, that all came after the death of my wife and the death of my father. And so I know I can attest to his program. Now, of course, I switched gears a little bit on you, nothing to do with you, but I went into, hey, I'm going to try this bodybuilding thing, you know, and, uh, you know, which is a whole different style of everything. Uh, Totally. (laughs) You know, and uh, it's all good stuff though. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because it's sharpening my mind. It's sharpening. I mean, just the discipline behind what it takes to eat right, what it takes to, to be in the gym five, six or seven days a week training to some, to whatever degree it may be, you know, and I'm at the age of 42 and I'm preparing for a bodybuilding competition, you know, sometime awesome. next year. I don't even know when it will be. We're not even going to set a date yet. You know, um, I love I it with my body, but, um, Vinny, tell me that comment one more time about the pain to get to the point of changing. Tell me that again. When the pain of change is less than the pain of staying the same, that's when you'll change. I heard that somewhere. So I'm not going to claim that it's mine, but it just, you know, it's, it's what, you know, Everybody posts motivational quotes and you see yeah. this stuff left and right and, and you see it on bathroom walls. But uh, it's every once in a while, there's one that sticks with you and that's, that's one. My other great one is from one of my mentors and, and it kind of goes along, along the same lines. It's the pain of discipline is never greater than the pain of regret. Wow, that's powerful. That's powerful. Brother, this has been an amazing show. I am so thankful for you coming on. Your story has touched my life in several different ways, even how we connected several years ago. And even the times that we've been able to train together, I'm so encouraged. I'm so proud of you guys for taking life, you know, and, and making something of it, you know, instead of allowing that pain and that addiction and that hurt to become the story, the story that gets you stuck like glue where you don't go anywhere in life. You know, for a lot of people, it'll always be a struggle for them, but the struggle can, over be, can be overcome. There's a way through it, whether it's having your own faith, whether it's finding a support system and family, friends, accountability partners, you know, whatever it may be, we have to find something. We have to find a way to get through these things. And for everybody, it may be different, you know? And so I'm just, I love seeing you guys journey because it makes me want to buy an RV and get out there. I'm like, man, I, 
I'm like, because y'all are experiencing, even your son is experiencing things that I, I, right now my kids haven't even got to experience, you know, and um, we, we have flown a little bit more, you know, and, uh, right. but uh, to see the country, the way you guys are seeing it and to experience those things, it's just, I can't wait to not only see you in 10 years, but also see Bowden in 10 years to see where he's at, where life has taken him and the journey that he's on. And I just see y'all continually doing great and powerful things. Uh, I appreciate that so much, brother. I mean, you, your support has, has been instrumental to us, you know, being, being successful in this endeavor. And it was a big risk that we took, but it's definitely paid off just, just to watch my son grow up. I mean, I would, I wouldn't trade that for the world, but yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor. You know, i you inspire me on a daily basis, brother. And, uh, you know, working with you and, you gave me one of the greatest gifts. I mean, I have complete control over our, our dog, Uchi, from working with you. So they've got to give you a little plug too. I mean, Joe is phenomenal. If you guys, if you guys want to actually have the relationship with your dog that you, that you envisioned, you need to work with him. Man, I appreciate that, brother. That means a lot. It really does. You're welcome, brother. So thanks again for being on the show. It's truly been an honor, brother. Thank you so much, man. The, the, the honor, honor is mine as well. So anything you need from me, I'm always in your corner. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Through Pain podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to share with a friend and leave a five-star review on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcast host so you won't miss a single episode. You're one step closer to finding true freedom and breakthrough.